0: On today's podcast, we are inviting you into our monthly mentorship meeting with the Behavior Resource. This is a group where members ask questions about any topic related to ABA. If you want to join the monthly mentorship, then become a member. We also host live CEUs for our members. Our next monthly CEU is on Wednesday, May 18th at 12 Eastern Standard Time. We are covering ethics, specifically recognizing bias. Become a member before May 18th to get your ethics credit. See you there. Basically, the struggle with, you know, how do you create goals and are they supposed to be like, how do you balance out the discrete child teaching as well as the natural environment teaching and which one do you do and everything else, right? You know, specific, like as an example, you know, specifically receptive or matching programs, you know, it might be an array of eight, but how do you do that in the natural environment and play-based without making them feel like they have to do work during play? Um, I'm going to, Courtney, can I go off on a little tiny bit of a tangent? Because this is, I encountered this yesterday, actually. And um, so I'm working right now with an eight-year-old. I think he's seven. Anyways, he's just starting ABA. um, So he's like relatively new. He's got a little bit of skill, but for all intents and purposes, I would put him at a beginner learner. He's a beginner learner, but he's eight. You know, usually with beginner learners, I would start, you know, very naturalistic. I'm pairing myself with reinforcement. Um, You know, I do a little bit of table stuff, but lots of natural environment teaching. Um, But this kid is in school and expected to sit at a table all day, um, which he can't. He, he can do a little bit, but not a lot. But he also really loves structure. He comes from a family where mom has always done work with him and has always been like kitchen table and tried to teach him to print and whatever else mom could do that wasn't necessarily ABA, but she tried her hardest. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that this kid, you know, needs help at the table, but he also seems to like really want that structure. Um, so yesterday what I witnessed was, you know, some natural environment teaching, but this kid kept getting... Really dysregulated. He, we couldn't teach him at the table, or you know, in the natural environment. He was just everywhere, and he just really seemed, for lack of a better word, dysregulated. As soon as we brought him to the table, there was a little bit of resistance, um, and then we moved him to the floor, which was fine. So to me, it's still you're it's still discrete trial teaching. We moved him to the floor, and you know, we put cards in front of him and what have you. And within about a minute, he just seemed to regulate, and he calmed right down. And he, you know, he did a few things for us, and we said, "Wow, that was really great." Okay, let's let's go play somewhere else. As soon as he got up to play, he actually started just tantruming and again really dysregulated. We brought him back; he calmed down. So yesterday, for a beginner learner, I actually recommended let's try and do mostly discrete trial teaching. I don't always say that, but that that was just in that kid's case. He you know he needed the structure. He was seven. He was eight. What have you? Anyway, that was my tangent, and I I think where I was going with that was that. Natural environment teaching is really awesome. But if a kid doesn't have the skill level to be there, or if the kid is perceiving it to be, you're interrupting my play, I don't even want you near me, then we might not be able to get in specific targets from your ABLES or VB map assessment, right? So I think that this is really where clinical judgment
1: comes in, where the assessments are great. You know, they say it has to be eight, eight, an array of eight to master it. But this is where, like, if I'm watching a three or four-year-old play and they know, like, what the duck is when I ask them the duck, whether or not there were seven other items for them to discriminate, like, I wouldn't hold them to that, you know, box on the assessment. And I think that a lot of those things we have to balance. We have to balance the assessment and the requirements and the prerequisites with our own observation of where is this child at and what is realistic and what is doable, Um, And I think part of using natural environment teaching is that's a whole nother skill that we have to teach. So like Shana said, if they think it's work, then we're not doing it right. Like it should be something that we're building up in them so that they feel like this is natural. Like it should feel natural. It shouldn't feel like, you know, you're interfering what I'm doing to get on your agenda. The whole thing with natural environment is that it's not on my agenda. Like I'm not completely contriving this so that, you know, it's checking my boxes, but I'm you know, implementing my targets within what you're enjoying. So it should be completely enjoyable for the learner. Um, so that's where you kind of have to have that balance that sometimes it will be, you know, feel more like work and that's not really, you know, net teaching. And other times you're using your judgment. Does it, does this child really have what it takes and, and has mastered these goals in net? Um, and so I would think that they're mastered without, without meeting those strict
0: goals. Um, you know, land farms, yeah. Um, the other thing that I would say about national environment teaching is that It's really great um, because it's in the natural environment. And if you can teach in the natural environment, then you don't need to generalize because it's already in the natural environment. But the problem with that is that if our kiddos were learning from the natural environment, they wouldn't Mm. be coming to us in the first place. Good point. Right. Um, And sometimes we just can't get enough trials in when we're in the natural environment. So, you know, what I'll do, or maybe it's just the way I justify things, is that I will... um, I will teach specific targets at the table and other targets in the natural environment. So, you know, the more language-based stuff, like not the requesting, but your like feature function class or your math facts or whatever I'm teaching, like that's all tabletop stuff. When I say table, it doesn't necessarily need to be a table, but I think you know what I mean, like the discrete trial. Um, but your softer skills can be in the environment. So, if you've got a child who doesn't really want you in their play because you're putting demands on them, then you know what? Maybe the goal for the natural environment isn't that. They're going to pick out duck from an array of eight in the natural environment, but just that that child is going to let me into their play. That child is going to think I'm fun, regardless of whether I am or not, right? The child is going to think I'm fun. The child wants me in their play and going to sustain that. Um, You know, maybe my goal is joint attention within play. Like those softer skills are still huge. And that's what you can, you know, do during play. Appropriate protests, stop touching my toys. I want that one. Oh, I want this one. You know, you can contrive different different colors, you know, request, you know, manding with colors, that kind of thing. But if they're not into it, you have to abandon it and you've got to go with something else. Right. So that's where, you know, you have the discrete trial as well to back you up. This person has a three-year-old student with pretty advanced verbal repertoire. They're currently working on spontaneous manding um, because even though he can tact and sing and recognize numbers and letters, um, and he can also respond, he usually doesn't always request for items or he'll request by putting his arms up so that we can lift him up. Um, One of his parent goals is socialization with other kids and relinquishing reinforcement. So when he's at home, he engages in contextually inappropriate behavior. Um, They don't say what it is, but that doesn't matter. He's able to independently go to his room in a dark area and calm down, however, his mom brought this up to me, that they can't use that approach in public um, because there is no dark space in public necessarily. So the question is, um, what about ACT or AIM? Um, But he may be too young for that. Should they just continue working on the manding piece and teach him to say no thank you to aversive situations before he engages in the contextually inappropriate behavior? Or should they start teaching him coping strategies? So
1: there was like a lot of different pieces. I felt like within this question, there was like the regulation and the manding and the aim and what else and relinquishing reinforcement and coping strategies. And I think that I, my recommendation would be like, figure it out. What's like, what's the most important thing here? Is it um, teaching him an alternative replacement skill for tolerating relinquishing reinforcement? Is that the issue? Is that the social issue that you're talking about? And for a three-year-old, like quite possibly, because they don't really have many other social skills that we're expecting them to have. So is that the issue? And I also find that sometimes um, skill acquisition gets a little bit mixed up with regulation. Like everything kind of becomes, you just need to learn how to calm down and like everything will be okay. When really no, like it's just a function of access or a function of escape. And it's not, it's not um, about being overwhelmed necessarily. Yes, the overwhelm happens when they don't get what they want. But I think sometimes it becomes a bit of a catch-all where we teach this calming down and regulation and overload and overwhelm um, instead of you know an appropriate replacement skill. So my suggestion would be to figure out what that replacement skill is. Is it a manding skill? Is it a a tolerance and delay skill is it you know what is that skill that you want him to do instead the question was a little bit vague and then you know use reinforcement and shaping and and all of those strategies to teach up that replacement skill so the question asked about um act and aim if that's age appropriate for a three-year-old and it it might be like there's no age age minimum to use act and aim, but what it would look like is kind of how I described what, you know, that the value would be their reinforcer. Like, what do you want access to? Or what is it that you're going to reinforce the, the student with? And then how do we get you there? So if the reinforcer is a video game, then, you know, you'll get there by tolerating no, or by giving up something that you have access to. So it's more about That's kind of what ACT would look like at that age. So I wouldn't necessarily say, yes, use ACT, but just use those, you know, reinforcement and shaping strategies and skills. And then um, she asked about teaching him to say no thank you to to aversive situations before engaging in the inappropriate behavior. Yes, like that's... Generally, a good strategy, figure out that replacement skill, whether it's saying no, tolerating no, um, giving up preferred items to peers, whatever that skill is, um, teach it and prompt it before the challenging behavior happens. Um, So based on the information we got in that, I
0: think that that would be my suggestion. Yeah, I would also say role play. You know, if you've got a kiddo who's got a pretty advanced verbal repertoire, um, sometimes what I find is that kids can answer questions, um, but they may not always be spontaneous. And uh, if you know that they're still working on some manding skills, it means their manding's not fluent. And even if they can mand, but they don't mand fast enough. So maybe the situation arises and there's a one or two second lag. One or two seconds doesn't seem like a lot, but when there's another three-year-old and the student's taking or they're in a situation and the situation's happening and it's one or two seconds later before the student command, that's a long, long time. Yeah, it has to be fluent. So, you know, getting that fluent by role-playing when the student is calm or in, in various situations like an ABA session. Um, if the student is um, verbal enough, you can explain, hey, you know what? Let's pretend that blah, blah, blah. Or, hey, you know what? I noticed that yesterday you got scared when there was a dog. Let's pretend there's a dog now. Okay, what can you say? Awesome, you can say that. Okay, let's pretend I'm the dog. Okay, here we go. Or, hey, the stuffy's the dog. Um, and coming up with those situations and really role playing those out until that man in that situation becomes fluent. Yeah.
1: And I think something else to remember is if regulation is something that he needs and he needs to use a better regulation strategy than going to his room because his room is not always available, that also needs to be taught at a separate time. So if you're going to reteach some sort of strategy, it shouldn't be taught when he's already worked up, when he's already upset, but come up with a separate time to teach him a different strategy so that he's more receptive. And it's not something that you know comes out when he's already upset um we talk about that a lot with teaching you know calming down and regulation and all those skills that you want them to show in the moment we can't really expect them to
0: learn them when they're so heightened. Yeah, definitely teaching when calm and even coming up with appropriate protesting ideas, right? And listening to other three-year-olds, what are other three-year-olds in his class saying and how are they, um, when I say getting their needs met, really getting their protests met, right? Like, are they saying, no, thanks, I don't want it? Or are they saying um, it's too loud or I don't like it? What are they saying? And teaching those that same vocabulary. Yeah, I love teaching
1: our kids to protest, to tell us what they don't want, because so often in, you know, we're moving away from teaching compliance and following instructions and doing what we tell you, but that's not natural and that's not healthy. Like we need to teach our kids to fight for what they want also
0: and advocate for themselves. So yeah, I love that idea. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too.
1: For more from How To ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.